0: Hi everyone, thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I'm your host today, Kelsey, with your other host, Annalise, and our two guests,
1: Clickety Quack, it's Steph. (laughs) Anna, do you want to follow that? It's Anna. I'm just going to leave
0: it at that. And today, we are getting ready for the spookiest day of the year, with some spooky, unexplained stories. These are going to be a little bit different than our usual repertoire, but we will hope you enjoy it.
2: you yeah, are going to have a fun time, because, you know, Halloween, personally, my favorite holiday, we got to bring the vibes,
0: you know? <laughs> Annalise, do you want to get us started? Sure. So, our
2: first story is about Lawler Ford Road, otherwise known as Al Foster Trail in Wildwood, Missouri. This road is two miles long, 10 feet wide, and comes to a dead end. The road is fun. Yeah, super fun. Love dead ends. Nothing ever happens at a dead end. The road is mostly a paved bike path and hiking trail nowadays, Um, And it's closed at night. How do they, like, enforce that?
0: It's like a random (laughs) wood trail. Like, does somebody, is there a gate? Or is there somebody like, no, you can't come in. It's closed. If you go
1: in there, their bears will get you. (laughs) There's uh, a gate and also,
2: you know, police that come by. So multiple people have been arrested for trespassing after dark. (laughs) Fair enough. Because, you know, that never stops people from going places they shouldn't be because they want the spooky experience. This road is actually known as one of the most haunted roads, not only in America, but in the world.
0: Does that mean the haunting stops after you get off the pavement? Or is it like the whole area?
2: I count the whole area, but I don't know where the area stops,
0: you know? (laughs) Like if you take one step off the dead end of the road, like it's just all over. It's all gone. Then you're fine.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 The fog lifts and suddenly you're chill. <laughs> Originally built in the 1860s through a dense forest as a way to access the Merrimack River and a railroad, the road was used by Confederate soldiers during the Civil War.
0: Makes sense. 1860s.
2: Oh, yeah. So, of course, there's some spooky stuff. Also, crazy to think about how soon the Civil War was. I'm going to show y'all a quick picture just to get the vibes.
0: We need the vibes.
2: That's the
3: railroad. Vibes. Mm-hmm. It's cute. I take fall pictures here. Oh my God. Super spooky. I'm like
0: the fact that there isn't just like a headless person standing at the very edge of the light in that picture makes me feel like that's what's missing. Like it's my brain is like, that needs to be there because that completes the picture.
1: I thought this was the same bridge <laughs> as BuzzFeed Unsolved where they're like, oh, Goatman, I'm on your bridge. It looks exactly the same. Though to be fair, I haven't seen it in a while, but I looked at it and went, Goatman bridge? Goatman bridge? Okay, we have very different vibes.
0: I feel like a lot of bridges look creepy at night.
2: I also can envision Slenderman just at the very yes! edge.
0: It looks like a slender, like a cut from a really good-looking Slenderman video game or, like, a Slenderman ARG kind of thing.
1: Slenderman, currently spotted in Missouri. Um, here's just another
2: picture of it during the day.
0: (laughs) Okay, that looks a little more normal, except for the, like, pinky-red graffiti on the sign that looks a little bit just, like, the wrong color of blood. I mean, the, the photo itself, yes, but why is there, like, a magenta stain on that sign, like, dripping?
3: It just
1: looks like fall photos to me, y'all. So that means you'd be the first to die first in a (laughs) horror movie.
2: Stephanie has no sense for danger.
3: I wouldn't even think about it. Maybe I'm just built different. Yeah. I mean, it would track. I also don't think I'd really want to live if I was being hunted by a serial killer. That's fair. So there's a couple of things that I want to talk
2: about with this road. There is a million reasons why this should be a haunted place, if anywhere, here. So to start, in the 1950s, the road had become, you know, a teen hangout, you know, a place for people to go make out, like very classic, what you imagine, like teens
0: 50s. That's what I did in high school. Just snuck around in the woods and made out with other teens. That's what I did.
2: (laughs) You know. So this place started to be referred to as Zombie Road due to the story of the zombie
0: killer. You know what that tracks, though? Because there's, like, a convenience store, like, not super close to where I live, but near-ish, that's called Murder Mart, because somebody got stabbed in the back of it. And people still go. Like, you just, yeah, the Murder Mart. So that tracks for me, that people are like, yeah, it's Zombie Road now.
1: The sales are killer.
0: (laughs) Yes! The views are to die
1: for. (laughs) The views at Murder Mart?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, Zombie Road. Oh.
1: So the story goes
2: um, that this man, who became known as Zombie, or his name was Zombie, allegedly escaped from a mental hospital and, you know, went down to the road in blood-soaked clothing and then started to hide out and kind of, like you know, keep in the shadows. It was alleged that he was a serial killer. And so he would prey on the teens who would come and park on the road to make out.
0: That sounds like just the Missouri version of that, like the hook story. It's so classic.
2: The idea of like two teens making out in a car. It's like, what was that, Johnny? And he's like, don't worry, baby. And then
1: oh my god babe (laughs) don't worry i got you gets hacked i'm just stuck
3: on the fact that he's called like zombie like i feel like you know zombie has like a little bit of a cannibalistic vibe to it but like why wouldn't you just call him cannibal zombie suggests
1: a mindless component
3: too which i think is just
1: mean i instantly think of lurch from the adams family
0: The fact that you said either his name was Zombie or he's called the Zombie Killer is whack to me. Who's out here naming their kid Zombie? What's the family name? Zombie Jones? What? It's the family name. His last name's Zombie. The family name. Family name. Maybe his name is Zombie Killer. Like, that's just his legal birth name. What
1: an awful birth name. But
0: maybe because he was in blood-soaked clothes, he looked like a zombie? Maybe, but the
2: other version of this story is that you know he was struck by a train, and like so this is a lesser known. This isn't this one isn't as like you know viral as the mental hospital patient. This one is that he was struck by a train and then he just died and then chases off you know young lovers as a way to seek vengeance and kind of disappears people, which is you know not as a well baked as the other version of the story so you don't believe what you'd like
0: i love that our two origin options though are the hook story that every urban legend that every town has as an urban legend or stand
1: by me (laughs) you know as a treat for us you
2: know like you do so another version of the story um or another story involves a figure who appears on the railroad tracks There are actually multiple stories about incidents and, you know, mysterious disappearances at the railroad. But this legend surrounds someone who was struck and killed on the track and comes back to the spot of their tragic demise. Now, this accident can actually be traced back to only one person who we have evidence of who had died on the railroad track. Her name was Della McCullough. You say it with confidence. (laughs) And, Same with you know? and she was killed in 1876 she is the only recorded person to have had this happen in the area so you know if any spirit if this was anyone this would be her so you know if you go you could try calling out her name otherwise you know leave her alone she probably has enough going on
0: so like she was struck by the train do they know if it was like a suicide, or... Because, like, trains are kind of, unless you're in a tunnel, really easy to avoid. It's not like the train's gonna shift, move, like, just get off the, like, four feet of tracks.
2: You're good. I really couldn't find many details on how this happened. I just know that she was struck and killed. It might be that people actually don't know, because she might have just been alone at the time, but... Maybe she was pushed, and now it's... She's like, an angry ghost looking for the person who pushed her into the track
3: getting pushed into the tracks is like one of my nightmares just because i i go on subways sometimes and i'll just be standing there and it's just like you hear about the rise in city crime and i'm like i don't think i'll be a victim of violent crime that's why i'm i'm pretty chill walking alone i live a good life but every once in a while i'll be on the subway like waiting for the subway and i'm just like It'd be so easy for someone's elbow to just end up in my back, even by accident. takes a significant step
2: back well, from the why edge. Well, that's they have, like... Yeah, they should have the, like, uh, plastic guards that they do in, like, I think South Korea, maybe Japan has them, that's in front of the trains, so that you can't get
1: into they the They do. I mean, most... I think all subways have this, where they're just like, just stay behind the yellow line and you're good, and that thing is, like, I think... Maybe like two and a half or three feet. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've been in a subway. And I'm just like, well, if you're not anywhere near the line, you're like Gucci gang. If you're like a little too close to the line, maybe hold on to your seatbelts. Fasten your seatbelts, everybody. But people are whack, so. Okay, a couple more
2: things about Zombie Road. Uh, Zombie Road is is home to one of the largest Native American burial ground mounds in the United States.
0: Ah, okay, so that that's why. It's just that all of us have no business being there. That's the problem. We're
2: treading on sacred ground, but, you know, I guess fuck that. Maybe we should, I don't know, be respectful, but... <laughs> nah. But also very classic haunted story where something's built on top of a Native American burial ground, so... The road was also home to a small resort community in the 1900s, which ended up declining in the 1940s. So there's a bunch of, like, abandoned, like, summer vacation homes that, like, line the trail.
0: That really just perfects the vibe.
2: Nothing like a ghost town to, you know, really get those haunted vibes. So people have seen, you know, spirits going in and out. And specifically, there is a story of an elderly woman who is just, like, screaming and appears in the doorways. I like to think she's yelling at people to get off her lawn, but, you know, believe what you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone's mad at her, and, like, really, y'all are the ones in her damn house. Get out of her (laughs) house.
1: (laughs) Everybody, why is there an old lady yelling at us, the old lady? I own so much property, and everyone keeps getting on it. It's the worst. They're worse than rats. (laughs) I like the rats. But also summer summer homes, though. I It seems too woodsy in that area for me. Though at the same time, I guess people love camping. So, or whatever. I don't... Hmm. Hmm.
2: It's also by a river, so maybe swimming there.
0: I mean, where my parents live is kind of like a naturalized resort community. So it's probably something oh, all like fair. that.
1: I just go, gas a lot of trees. Because usually uh, when people talk about summer homes, they're like, we're going to go to Florida. Because the beach. Cape Cod. I don't know where else people go for the summer. Everyone at like, where our school, they're just like, we're going to Florida. And it's like, okay. Your options are beach.
2: Beach, let's go get away.
1: (laughs) Let's go to the beach, beach.
2: So, you know, just to finish up our miscellaneous ghost stories, people say that they've seen ghosts of men who could have been killed during industrial accidents, building or working on the railroad. There is also a note. This is all that it said. Packs of children. No explanation. They just said pack, which is a funny way to put it. I don't know if they like... Feral children. Yeah, I don't know if they were supposed to like be related to the resorts or, you know, just people who stumbled upon the trail and never made it out. I don't know. I couldn't get a straight answer about how they play into this.
0: I have a ghostly opinion, if you will.
1: The packs of children.
0: (laughs) Beyond the pack of, possibly just a pack of feral children. But I feel like people always assume that when they see some kind of paranormal activity in a place that once had a lot of just normal human activity, they always assume that it's because like somebody died violently. And I feel like that's usually the case that we would associate that with. But I also feel like there's a thing that I just call impressions, where if there's been a lot of activity... In an area, just people moving around, being there, sometimes that's just left over. Like an old-fashioned TV when you would turn them off and there's still, like, the outline of what image was on the TV before you turn it off. Kind of like that. So I feel like there's not always a, like, horrible death behind every ghost sighting.
2: I think that also plays into the thought that, you know, time isn't linear. Mm. So everything is happening, can be happening at the same time. No stretching out and out into the universe. So,
0: you know. So that poor old woman just had all of these ghost encounters in her own home. And now in the future, we're all like, dang, this ghost old woman is really angry. And, you know, I just think to tie this
2: all up. Overall, there's a potential for a lot of spooks, you're surrounded by forests, abandoned houses, railroad, and overall just the history with Native Americans and the Confederate soldiers. If any place were to have ghosts, upset spirits, you know, anything like that, this would be the place. That's all I got for Zombie Road.
0: That seems really spooky, Annalise. But you know where a place that might be even spookier? The desert. There's just something about the desert that's just very eerie. Like, people are just not meant to be there.
1: I mean, points out the miscellaneous Death Valleys, National Geographic. Don't go here, people. That is so cool. I think I'm going to go there for spring break.
0: That said, February 2nd, 2009, started out as a normal Monday night for Christine Ross. But it would soon become one she would never forget. She had taken her dog on a walk along a dried-out wash that's really just a dried-out riverbed near her home in the West Mesa area of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Her dog found a bone and brought it over to her. That on its own's not super weird. Dogs like bones. Dogs sometimes grab bones. This area was kind of underdeveloped, so it's possible that wildlife was nearby. But Christina's like, that looks real human. And I'm just going to double check here. So she took a picture of it and sent it to her sister, who happened to be a nurse, who confirmed that the bone was indeed a human femur and that she needed to contact the police right away.
2: Big yikes.
0: <laughs> Imagine, I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like she had to have called her because that does not seem like a text message to like, yeah, that's a femur, LOL. Call the police,
2: la <laughs> L- L- Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, like, I'm quickly picking up the phone, like, hey, yo,
0: you really need to call someone. <laughs> yo, 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 yo. Ross would soon learn that this event would lead to the discovery of the skeletal remains of 11 women. This area of West Mesa was largely underdeveloped, and only recently had development started to occur. The 2008 housing bubble collapse led to construction being halted partway through. They'd filled in most of the wash that was nearby, and in preparation for construction, and neighbors had begun to complain of flooding as a result, because now the water's moving elsewhere. So they built a retention wall to channel stone water into a retention pond instead, and the, this moving of water ended up exposing the buried bones. Maybe they would have discovered the remains during further construction, but this is a 2008 housing crisis, it's possible they never would have restarted construction, And it's possible that it was only due to this recession and a few flooding complaints that these remains were ever discovered. This was the most disturbing murder case the Albuquerque police had ever faced, and remains unsolved to this day. It took medical examiners over a year to identify all of the victims. All were reported missing between the years 2001 and 2005. Are these women people of color? Give me just a second. We will get into that. (laughs) She's getting there. She's getting there. I'm getting there. Satellite imagery taken of the area during 2003 and 2005 shows the disturbed sections of soil and tire marks. All but one victim was linked to sex work in some way. Of course. Which may explain why the disappearance Uh, of these women went largely unnoticed by the area, as disgusting as that is.
2: Because no one cares about... It is so sad that people don't put in the resource for these women I'm
0: always upset about this I just need to put that in there continue Kelsey <laughs> most I said that most were reported missing between 2001 and five a lot of that is actually based on backtracking and figuring out when they would have meant, went missing most of these women had not even been reported missing at the time that
1: their remains were found no one was looking which is so not sad. officially. I mean, since they are, like, linked to sex workers, you know that they're just gonna be like, oh, um, prostitute, cover that up, bestie. They're not that important, which really sucks. Like, sex work is still work, which is very frowned upon in this society. Like, if it, wor- if it pays the bills, go off. But, like, some people just really be like, oh, my pearls. Don't do that. But they're also the same people who would, like, be against you know uh, homosexuals and all that good jazz but anyways go on kelsey the victims were jamie
0: barella 15 monica candelaria 22 victoria chavez 26 virginia cloven 24 solania edwards 15 cinnamon elks 32 doreen marquez 24 julie nieto 24 Veronica Romero, 28, Evelyn Salazar, 27, and Gina Michelle Valdez, 22, who was four months pregnant at the time of her murder.
2: Oh, God. Oh, Just
0: fucked up. Fifteen-year-old Jamie was the only victim with no direct ties to sex work, and she was buried next to her cousin, Evelyn, after they had both gone missing at a local park in 2004. Evelyn did have ties to sex work, which they think may have been why Jamie went missing because she was with her. That is so sad. To Annalise's earlier question, all of the victims were Hispanic, with the exception of the other 15-year-old victim, Solania. She was African-American and also the only victim not born and raised in the state of New Mexico.
2: They really had, like, everything against them because police, like, people don't look for Really sadly, people don't look for people of color or sex workers. If you wanted to kill someone, that's the you pick your victim that people wouldn't find. And unfortunately, they're at the cross-section of that, which is so sad. Like, oh my gosh, especially in New Mexico, where you have a pretty decent Hispanic population.
0: Exactly. Solani had been seen with sex workers before her disappearance and was considered a endangered runaway. So she had run away from home to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and had been seen with sex workers before her disappearance. I don't know if we know so little about this case. It's not clear if they sought out Hispanic women out of some sort of preference, or if it was just because, like you said, Annalise, they happened to be. If sex workers themselves were not already a vulnerable population, sex worker or women of color even being even more so if that just was a matter of convenience or preference. It was originally suspected to be the work of a serial killer, and, but there is also a theory that these murders may have been connected to sex trafficking as well, given their uh, nearness to the border and their vulnerable status as sex workers of color. They still don't know to this day. It is generally assumed that the person or persons who buried the victims buried all of them. So whoever it was, being a single individual, partnership or group, they think it was all the same people. It would be really a really big coincidence if this just happened to be some kind of desert graveyard that multiple people separate from each other used. A lot of investigative work was done in the first year, and the, despite the fact that no one had noticed these women were missing... The police really stepped it up for the first year and interviewed over 200 sex workers who had worked in the same streets at the same time as the victims to see if they knew anything. Because that's the other thing. They may have not been reported missing, but that does not mean people weren't missing them. They just could have been people who didn't trust the law system and were unable to make official documentation. There were a few suspects but many were ruled out, and none were ever accused of the murders. No one had anything substantial to tie them to it. There are a couple that they still consider to be primary suspects, but again, not officially, and only because of other things they've already been accused of, tried, and in jail for. The person or persons responsible are known to this day as the West Mesa Bone Collector. That is a bone-chilling name. That is name. super
2: spooky. And, you know, we went from, like, fun ghost tales to, like, let's talk about some real spooky shit.
3: I'm just, I'm, st- I'm stuck on, like, the name. What was the thing, like, you shouldn't name them because it gives them, like, an ego? That's one thing. And then the other thing is your pun right after. Bone-chilling.
0: Yeah. I mean... I knew it was a pun, but also, like, that was the only thing that comes to mind when I think of the name The Bone Collector.
3: I don't know. It was a double whammy for me. I can't say why. Those those sounds just clicked in my head. I was like, that's a double whammy.
0: It is. And you know what's crazy about this story? Is that normally when uh, the bones of 11 women are discovered in a neighborhood, people are, like, terrified, as they should be, because what the heck how has this been happening under our noses is this going to happen to somebody else is this going to continue what is this nothing really changed for anybody nobody really changed how they were going about their lives
2: because a hundred percent a bunch of people were like oh you know sex workers i'm fine it's because of what they chose to do because people suck
1: yeah that's
0: just whack to me like if Somebody found 11 women in, like, two or three streets over from me. Even if they were sexual girls, I'd be like, what the hell? I'm not going outside.
2: I'm moving. Well, I'm going to take us to, you know, a bit of a lighter note than that, but a spookier, more haunted note. Now I'm going to be talking about the ghost of Bellamy Bridge.
0: You do like bridges.
2: I do love bridges. I have a thing that every time we pass a bridge, I basically go, a bridge! You know, I just, I have a good time with them. Anyway, I'm taking us to Mariana, Florida. This steel bridge is surrounded by a foggy swamp that crosses um, the Chipola River. So, you know, have that image stored in your brain. You know, a steel bridge, foggy area. Yep. This story centers around Elizabeth Jane Bellamy. She was formerly known as Elizabeth Jane Croom. She was the wife of Dr. Samuel Crowell Bellamy, an influential political and economic figure at the time. They had both fallen in love and they got married on May 11, 1837. This wedding is just what I picture, the way this is told in the legend, this wedding is like a very classic, opulent Southern wedding. In the legend, it takes place at the Bellamy Plantation in the Rose Garden. Elizabeth wore this beautiful dress and it says that there was guests who had traveled all the way from Europe. Some stories said that Dr. Bellamy had built this mansion slash plantation
0: for his soon-to-be wife. You mean he told slaves to build it? Yeah. I mean,
2: yeah, this time period. In her vows, Elizabeth said, I will love you always and forever. Never will I leave you. And thus, that's how the happiest day of Elizabeth's life started. But unfortunately, that's not how it would end.
0: She died on her wedding day? That's so sad.
2: The story of course varies, but either Elizabeth, you know, was happy dancing with her new husband or she was taking a little bit of a rest upstairs but her dress caught fire by a fireplace or a candle. And when this happened, she went running down the staircase. She was just running away in general in panic. And she suffered severe burns. And after surviving for a couple of days, passed away. She was later
3: laid to rest in a grove of trees. Just a uh, good holy crap. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Wasn't this
0: around the time that they had that that uh fabric that was treated with something that turned out to be really it was like cotton that was treated with something that turned out it was incredibly flammable so that once it caught fire at all, oh, it all
2: Yeah, I don't I'm not sure. I don't know. Kerosene comes to mind, but that's just cuz kerosene is a flammable thing. I'm not sure what it would be treated with.
1: I love that perfume what you got. It's kerosene. Oh my god, perfect. Radiant right on your wedding day my golly (laughs) she was right i thought this was going to be like a haunted mansion moment where she gets poisoned but this is a lot worse she still dies but this is a lot worse Woo!
3: quick google and um arsenic dresses mercury hats and flammable clothing caused a lot of pain in the 19th century there we go but to continue this story after all this happened
2: Samuel Bellamy became an alcoholic to try and drown his grief and eventually committed suicide by using a razor to slit his throat. Damn. At the time, suicide was seen as extremely shameful and taboo, and those who committed suicide were traditionally buried in unmarked graves.
0: I mean, in some communities, it is still considered Mm -hmm. extremely shameful. There are, I know that some people, depending on what religion they're a part of, if a loved one does commit suicide, they had to fight to have them buried in church grounds.
2: So people began to see this spectral figure wandering the banks of the river and the swamp, which is where then, a few years later, the Bellamy Bridge was built. It is said that Elizabeth wanders the area searching for Samuel's grave in order to be reunited with him, but since the grave is unmarked, she won't continue to search forever. Now, I do want to say that there is a real Elizabeth and Samuel. There is a real Elizabeth and Samuel Bellamy, but their actual story is way less dramatic, as is the case with both legends. It always is. In reality, they got married on July 15th in 1834, so three years before the legend in North Carolina, nowhere near where the bridge is. Elizabeth, at the time, was around 15 or 16, and Samuel was nine years older than her.
1: As is tradition.
3: Delicious. Delicious history here. (laughs) They
2: eventually relocated to Florida a while after, and they bought their land, the Rock Cave Plantation. And you know, along with that, 80 slaves, which is horrific. Which they actually brought with them (laughs) from North Carolina. They had
3: the story keeps getting uh, better. Mhm,
2: mm-hmm, Super great! They had a son in 1835, and sadly, because they were in a heavily swampy area, in 1837, the whole family got malaria. Elizabeth died Ooh. on May 11th, the day of the legend, and was 18 years old. Their son, Alexander, died a few days later at only 18 months old. Samuel... Did end up committing suicide later on December 28th, 1853, three days after Christmas, with a razor, like the legend says.
0: It's still sad. It's so interesting to see. It's so crazy to see in legends, like, what is true, like, what holds over from the legend and what fantasticalized. That's not a Mm -hmm, word, mm -hmm. but you know what I'm trying to say there.
1: Romanticized, I guess. Yeah, romanticized, that's a word that's weird everybody does a malaria the townsfolk so that's cool but what if we just made it like dramatic
2: but that ends you know I brought the light stories today so I'm gonna hand it back over to Kelsey for our spooky ending the probably more horrific ending if I have been teased this correctly we we did not plan this I just went dark (laughs) You said haunted things. And I went, yeah, fun. I'll look at the most haunted places in the world
0: and you bring true crime.
1: <laughs> you got more bones.
0: Okay, but like when I when I was looking, I saw the first, the one I'm about to tell you and I was like, oh, that sounds spooky. And I looked into it and I was like, oh my God, this is horrifying. And there's something about the name Bone Collector that makes me, I gotta know more. So t- for our final story, I'm going to take us a little bit in the future for Lisa's. We're going to go up to 1881. The Civil War had just ended about 16 years prior, and America had been swept up by the hot new trend going around Europe called the Industrial Revolution. Steel, all the rage. And as a result, the demand for pig iron, also known as cast iron, which is an intermediate product in the creation of steel, all-time high.
2: I did not know that pig
0: iron was a thing. (laughs) We're learning stuff today. Educational. <laughs> Educational. Pig iron is created through the process of smelting iron ore in a blast furnace. So, Colonel James Withers Sloss constructed Sloss furnaces. furnaces. Roughly four million people of color had been freed after the end of the Civil War. And under President Andrew Jackson, the southern, southern state legislators began to pass Black Codes,
2: because Andrew Jackson sucks and was the worst president.
0: Andrew Jackson sucks Boo. and was the worst president. That's the tagline for this episode.
3: <laughs> Hashtag Andrew Jackson is over party. Next to
0: Reagan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cancel him. Boo. Black
0: codes, restrictive laws meant to control the labor and behavior of former slaves. And this is where the term Jim Crow laws come from. Not only this, but immigrants were coming to America in droves looking for the American dream. In fact, it is estimated that over 14 million people immigrated to the United States between 1870 and 1905, mostly from Germany, Ireland, and Britain.
2: Again, it is so wild to think about how, like, close in our history this is. Like, it it makes sense because, you know, a lot of us are, like, children of, families who like immigrated and like that makes sense but also like 1905 was not that
0: long ago it was was like 150 years ago maybe Nilly freed slaves with restrictive laws about what kind of work they could do and where along with the european immigrants who had little to no support in this new land and in desperate need of work sloth's furnaces has got a workforce i like how you almost
2: went 1950s with
0: that (laughs) just, like, pulls out a full transatlantic accent. (laughs) Sloss Sloss furnaces has worked for you! Sloss furnaces played a huge role in the economic growth of Birmingham, which went from a small, sleepy town to a booming metropolis almost overnight. By April of 1882, nearly a year of operation, the furnace had produced roughly 24,000 tons of pig iron, that's a ton of pig iron despite this
2: <laughs>
0: that's, a that's a ton of pig ton iron, pig iron. <laughs> despite this
2: we're gonna keep trying to do this and it's just gonna get worse no matter how i'm not hard. even
0: trying it just keeps coming out <clears throat> despite this demand for pig iron gradually began to slow and by 1886 sloth sold Sloth's furnace company to a group of investors the new owners began to rapidly expand operations, and by 1890, the company had been renamed Sloss Sheffield Steel and Iron and was the second largest producer of pig iron in the Birmingham district. But to do this, they had to cut a few corners.
2: Because they always cut corners.
0: Because <laughs> we always cut corners, because they're terrible. The group of investors knew that there were many African Americans they could pay very little, as they were looking to get free of the sharecropping system, in which landlords allowed tenants to use some of their land in exchange for a share of the crop, which ensured that the farmers, particularly the now freed slaves, would remain tied to the land. So that sucks. They had also begun to employ a convict lease system, which allowed them to employ prisoners, mainly African Americans for almost nothing. We're all just shaking our heads. I want you all to know that. We're very disappointed here. And with this, between African-Americans and immigrants, the workforce is highly segregated. This means that blacks and whites had completely different time clocks and even different bathhouses. And as if that wasn't enough racism for one company, the jobs themselves were segregated too meaning that more managerial positions were given to white workers while the more labor-intensive and dangerous work was given to the african-american workers aren't we so proud of the progress we love it these workers had to deal with molten metal in low visibility with hazardous gases and temperatures of up to 120 degrees fahrenheit just within the workplace no thank you the first fatalities occurred within the first month of operations the first month because
2: duh because
0: they're not taking
2: any precautions i imagine they're like oh this is one of those cases where it's like until shit goes real bad they're not yeah i mean this
0: is the industrial revolution it you know, whenever you talk about it in history books, you we talk about the dangerous work conditions, and this place is no different. In fact, worse. Uh, Alec King and Bob May were said to have fainted due to the hazardous gases and had get ready fallen into the furnace to their deaths. Ah!
3: Oh, that's bad.
0: In the same week. Samuel Cummings reportedly committed suicide by also falling into the furnace, although he had jumped. That has to be incredibly painful. Let me tell you, I feel it's important to mention that these blast furnaces would average temperatures of 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit.
3: That's what's necessary to cremate you, isn't it?
0: It is. That is about the same temperature. And here's the terrible thought I have with this. They're not going to throw away the valuable melted iron ore just because somebody falls in. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they just kept going, and eventually people had to handle the pig iron that had been made in the furnace at the time that a coworker and maybe even a friend had fallen in.
3: There might not have been any biological matter left. Just think. Our buildings, our our beautiful U.S. infrastructure could be made of one of those three men. It would still have to go somewhere, though.
2: Just... Okay, there's 100% more human
0: remains in buildings than we think.
1: <laughs> what you got in your brick house, Jeremy?
0: Oh, yeah. The This iron likely would have been used for railroads. So just getting rolled over by trains every day. There were other horrific deaths that occurred during the furnace's operation, because of course there were, including getting crushed to death by the giant wheel cogs and being scalded to death by hot steam. I say other deaths rather than specific incidents because these were so common that most sources did not bother to list them all out. Just it's all of a, it's all the yikes. It's all the yikes. And I highly doubt there was
2: workers' compensation for these families.
1: I don't even know when workers comp became a thing.
0: Working conditions? What are those? Most people who worked here would live on the site in provided housing with their family. So if you were made unable to work or killed on the job, your family would likely have just been kicked out. One of the most famous deaths at the furnace is the death of James Robert Wormwood, known as Slag by his subordinates. I don't...
3: What is up with these names? We got Zombie, we got Slag. I don't know if he chose to be called that or if that was something people called him
0: behind his back because he was the worst. You can trademark that because he was the worst. He was an oppressive foreman in charge of the graveyard shift, so, like, dead of night. At the time, these furnaces were burning at all hours, so there were shifts constantly, and this is the graveyard one. James literally sounds like a cartoon villain meant to represent a greedy capitalist because he made employees work with as little rest as possible in order to increase in production and impress upper management.
2: It was also probably one of those cases, you know like the the stanford experiment where they're all like these people were prisoners these people were guards he was also probably on like a power kick too he's like i gotta impress these people but also i'm empowered it's night no one's like watching over my shoulder i can do whatever i want
3: oh yeah it was exactly that you can do whatever you want it's the graveyard (laughs) shift and we take graveyard literally here oh we do
0: Of course, people with very little rest, working in highly dangerous conditions, are more likely to make deadly mistakes. A recipe for disaster. It is estimated that at least, at least, 47 workers died and many more were injured under his supervision alone. This included an explosion in a blowing house in 1888, which caused six workers to go blind. And no one was
2: like, hey, yo, maybe he's not that great. They didn't care about the deaths.
0: They just cared about production rates.
2: Their performance review was like nothing about how he treated his subordinates or managing people. It's like how much was produced.
0: There's not like a a worker survey going out. One day in October of 1906. So he's still working, still forming. Wormward was at the, on top of the highest furnace at Sloth, known as Big Alice. I don't know why they called her that. That's just what she was called. When he suddenly fainted and fell into the furnace, at the bottom of which was a pool of molten iron ore. Many have noted that James had never gone up to the top of the furnace in all his years of working there. But I'm sure he just fell. It is generally accepted that the truth is that his employees rose up up and killed him, but no one was ever investigated for his death. And I mean, what are they going to do? There's no body. There's no autopsy. They stopped doing graveyard shifts after this. Yeah, yeah. But Slaw's Furnaces cited the reasons for doing so as numerous reports of accidents hmm, and, quote, strange incidents that decreased production shortly after the death of wormwood so they totally knew exactly what had been going on and what had happened to james and just decided it wasn't worth the risk to push the workforce further in that regard
2: they only cared when a person in power got you know got got
0: got got. the furnace eventually closed in 1971 And this only scratches the surface of what went on at Sloss Furnaces and doesn't even include the mines that were attached to this company, which were known even at the time for their deplorable conditions. Do you know how bad you have to be that early 20th century other mines are like, whoa, though, whoa. I could do a whole episode on how these people got away with this blatant disregard for human life. Colonel Sloss died in 1980, and a year later, the Sloss furnaces were made into a National Historic Site and is now open for tourism. While it is a reminder of the human cost of the Industrial Revolution and how far we've come in labor equality, it is mostly known for its ghost sightings. Now, we're, now for the spooky shit. Since its opening as a museum, visitors have reported strange occurrences. Visitors have heard heavy footsteps and loud voices, felt cold spots, and seen dark figures. All of your classic ghost shenanigans. Some have also said to have been assaulted by a white figure that many believe to be the ghost of James Wormwood. People claim to have been pushed or scratched by this apparition, which, with later stuff, I would not be shocked if James Wormwood as a foreman did not employ violent tactics to keep people in line, so that kind of tracks. In fact, sightings of this apparition go back to even when the furnace was still in operation. Almost immediately after his death, workers reported strange occurrences, such as the feeling of being pushed or cold spots in the area, which is also part of the reason that they shut down the graveyard shift. In 1926, a night watchman was hurt on the job after being, quote, pushed from behind. He said that during the attack, he heard an angry, deep voice yell at him to
3: get back to work. Even as a ghost, this guy's an asshole.
0: I know! After this incident, he searched the grounds, which props for dedication, I'd have been literally the next town over, gone, but could find no living person. Even stranger, in 1947, three supervisors went missing. Eventually, they were found unconscious and locked in a small boiler room on the southeastern part of the plant. None of them could explain what had happened, but all remembered being pushed by a man who appeared to be badly burned, who yelled at them to push and steel. Why is he so obsessed with steel? It was his job, it wasn't his life. I don't think this man had work-life balance, he was foreman of the graveyard ships. <laughs> he didn't, like, knit on the weekends. Now, for this one, you might think, well, you know, maybe they were getting up to some shenanigans and didn't want to admit it. But if I understand the services correctly, they were locked in this boiler room from the outside, which they couldn't have, been, couldn't have done to themselves. I'll finish this off with perhaps the most terrifying ghostly encounter, which definitely did not keep me up half the night the day I did this research (laughs) (laughs) thinking about it. Now, you'll remember I mentioned that the furnace closed in 1971. This was mostly due to environmental crackdowns that made the sloss furnace method of production too costly. But the night before the plant was to close, Samuel Blumenthal, night watchman, was taking one last sweep over the grounds for nostalgia's sake when he found himself face to face with quote, the most frightening thing he had ever seen. End quote. He described what he saw as evil and half human, half demon. This apparition tried to push him up the stairs, and when Blumenthal refused to move, it began to beat him with his fists. Which I think comes back to the possibility of Wormwood using physical means to control his workforce. He became a demon. When he was found and examined by a doctor, it was discovered he was covered in intense burns. And I'm pretty sure he, this was after the furnaces had been turned off. So there was nowhere that should have been able to cause these burns and he died before ever returning to Sloss from his injuries. There are still reports to this day as tourists go hoping to catch a ghostly encounter, including many paranormal activity TV shows that have caught activity on camera. Oddly enough, the majority of them occur during what would have been the graveyard shift during the months of September and October, remembering that Wormwood died October 6th. So it appears that James Slag Wormwood haunts the sloth's furnaces to this day, still looking to increase production long after the furnaces have gone cold.
2: <gasps> okay, sorry. He works he, he he works the graveyard shift, first off. Half human, half demon. Did he die during the demon hour?
1: Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, he just looks like that.
0: He just looks like he's just ugly. He's been described in other reports as being very badly burned. So it's possibly it's possible that's what he was referring to. But, you know, it's also possible that he died during the demon hour. And that's why he's such a powerful ghost now. Because he's just beating the crap out of visitors. He's a demon. He's a diamond. And, of course, when I was looking up uh, the ghost, I know some of them are dramatized. And some of them are outright faked but it's spooky, and you shouldn't look it up at 1130 at night on a work night, because then you, would like, stay up in your bed, and you're like, what if he's here? And you're like, no, he's not. He's in Alabama. But you're like, what if he's here?
2: You summoned him.
0: Some people do believe that. Like, some people won't even go to see horror movies because they believe the evil will follow them home. And while I don't actually believe that, I get it. Because that's how I felt in my bed at night, just in the dark, like...
2: He's in the furnaces. Manifesting shenanigans.
0: That is all that we have. Okay, everyone, for you.
2: cleanse your houses.
0: <laughs> I really hope you didn't listen to this late at night. I hope you all had a spooky time. Uh, Sage your homes. And um, honestly, this wasn't a very disappointing episode. I am disappointed by the lack of justice for the victims of the bone collector, and I'm disappointed. Uh, by just a lot of what happened during the Industrial Revolution. Annalise says we're too fun to be disappointing.
2: (laughs) Listen, I brought the laughter, I brought the lightness, I brought some legends, but, you know, Kelsey brought us to the spooky places, so you know what, you get a balance for this Halloween.
0: You do. Stay safe this Halloween. I hope you aren't too disappointed as you leave the table. Take some candy goodie bags with you. Trick or treat.
1: Bye. Happy Halloween!
3: Bone chillin', bye bye!